Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But on the digital Bob phone from Boise, Idaho, he's our guest, singer, songwriter, saxophonist, Curtis Steigers. Dragon clouds so high above, I've only known careless love. It always hit me from below. This time around, it's more correct, right on target, so direct. You're going to make me lonesome when you go. Oh. Did that come from a true experience, Curtis? Did you relate oh, to that? It may or have, just yeah. It may have. I mean, it, this I didn't know this song until after, but hasn't hasn't everyone been left by that sure. perfect uh, love? I'm a, I'm a romantic, so you know I, I could have gone for uh, you know it's all right, ma, or you know something sort of edgy and political or uh, angry, but uh, I love it when Bob goes all all mushy and uh, this. Uh, it's a beautiful song. Uh, you're going to make me lonesome when you go. I really love Sean Colvin's version of it, too. She's always yeah. killed me as a singer, and she covered it on that album of hers, Cover Girl. That's where I actually really, I have to admit, that's where I fell in love with the song and then went back to Bob and found that song for myself. Well, it's it's interesting. You do some fantastic covers, including Bob Dylan, and uh, covers can sometimes bring you to you know the best music. It certainly has done with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember... Well, I remember hearing uh, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Uh, I was a huge Elton John fan when I was a kid, and I remember uh, hearing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and then going, of course, down a, a Beatles uh, rabbit hole. So, yeah, I'm, and I've covered so many songs by so many different artists, including Bob, of course. Yeah, I know. I was. I, I made a. Here's. I made a little list of just some of them. These are the people that I love that you've covered: uh, uh, Tom Waits, Paul Simon, Willie Nelson, Joe Jackson, Ray Davies, Elvis Costello, Tom T. Hall, Nick Lowe, of course, Leonard Cohen, Ron Sexsmith, Steve Earle, and that's not counting Irving Berlin and Cole Porter and, sure, and Emily yeah. Harris as well. And Emily, Emily Lou Harris, yeah, of course. Who knew Emmy Lou? Um, I mean, you think of Emmy Lou as you know one of the great voices of uh, recorded music, but she occasionally writes an amazing song. That that song, uh, uh, which is on my new album, actually, mm. I've, I've re-recorded it for my new album. Amazing, great, great. Uh, well, that's the it's from Red Dirt Girl, isn't it? Which is the album where she finally started writing. And my God, it's a great album. Yeah, it's amazing to wait all that time and then to write an album like Red Dirt Girl. I mean, you know, some of it, some of it she didn't write, but most of it she did. And I mean, that yeah. song. Just that song, Red Dirt Girl. I'm a huge Emmy Lou Harris fan. And then that album is just, it's a monument. It's one of my mm. favorite records of all time. Really, really gorgeous. And uh, well, speaking, I, I will mention uh, your new album, This Life, where you revisit some of your greatest hits, really, or some of your greatest songs. And um, when this goes out, you'll be on tour uh, in the UK. Uh, you, yes. you will have just have started your tour, having launched the album at Ronnie Scott's, and, and you'll be on tour until the 10th of April. And I also just want to mention that uh, we've both seen uh, Songs from My Kitchen, your live stream oh, have you? Uh, webcast, which is just terrific. I mean, it's just so entertaining. So, it so well done. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I needed something to do with my time in that year and a half. I was unemployed because of the plague, and uh, I I started on uh, Patreon. You know, the the it's a sort of patronage oh, yeah. page. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you guys know about it. Some a lot of people don't know about it. Well, I found out unfortunately, but basically, I I started making videos. I start I taught myself. I taught this old dog some new tricks. I taught myself how to shoot and edit a video. But all I had as guest stars were my dogs. So I was making <laughs> silly videos with my dogs, trying to promote my last record, uh, which was called Gentleman, because I couldn't get out on the road. 
But I found that because of this Patreon thing, it only allowed the people who would pay a weekly thing to see it. I wanted more people to see what I was doing or a monthly fee for that. So I just decided to take it all off Patreon and start doing a live stream show. I found a producer that could help me. I mean, I saw a lot of really bad live stream concerts early on in the, in the pandemic, <laughs> as I'm sure you have. I mean, they yeah. just sounded and looked like hell. And yeah. I thought, well, I can't do that. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, even if I want to stay in touch with my fans, I, I don't want to, I don't want to look and sound terrible. So I, I was, I was scared of it for a while, but I found a woman, my, my producer, Kelly Lynn out in Minneapolis. And so she, uh, she makes me sound and look better anyway. And I've just been standing in my kitchen with my dogs hanging out, playing songs, telling stories, mm. being silly. The dogs do some tricks and uh, <laughs> it's turned out to, it's turned out to be one of my favorite things I've done in my career, quite frankly, because uh, not only am I discovering, rediscovering old songs of my own that I never really played on guitar. I mean, I've, I've always been a, a singer who played saxophone and I write songs usually with people who are good guitar players or good piano players. But uh, during this pandemic, I've, you know, I've forced myself to be a, at least a passable singer songwriter guitarist. And I'm playing things I never played before. It's really been a ball. And also covering songs I've never covered before. Uh, it's really been a riot. And I'm not stopping, even though the pandemic is, <laughs> someday will end. Uh, it, yeah. They keep saying it's over and then it's not. But uh, when it ends, I will continue to do my live stream show in my kitchen, unless my wife throws me out of the kitchen. We'll see. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's great that you're keeping it up. Just going back, Curtis, because just to basics, what you... I think grew up in in Boise, although you're from you were born just outside LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but when was the first time you heard Dylan? The first time I really, I really knew that I was hearing Dylan. I'm sure I heard, you know, blowing in the wind on the radio. I, I we listened to the radio constantly when I was a kid, and in LA you drive around all the time, so uh, I was always listening to pop radio. And Dylan is going to pop up on pop radio, especially back then. You know, they played everything which was great. That's why I love so many types of music is because of my exposure to so many different things just from listening to AM radio. But the first time I, I really noticed him was I was probably seven and my babysitter, Claudia, Claudia Dutton, oh, still in love with Claudia Dutton, <laughs> seven-year-old crush. She had a copy of the Bangladesh record. You know, uh, um, the concert, concert for Bangladesh. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, and I remember, God, I can't even remember what song it was, but I just heard that voice and I thought, oh my God, that's not like anything else I've ever heard. And I'm seven or eight years old. I mean, it was just, it was mm -hmm. so, but I remember it and I remember looking at the photos. I loved albums when I was a kid. I started buying records when I was about that age, seven or eight years old. I bought Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. That was the first record I ever bought. And I just started buying. I never did own, I still have never owned the concert for Bangladesh, <laughs> that album. I probably should go buy it now that I'm talking about it. But uh, I just remember Dylan. I think it was Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. Didn't he sing that on on, yep. on, on the Bangladesh? Yeah. I remember hearing that and just, it blew my mind as a, as a kid. So anyway, that was the beginning. Soon after that, I also... Another, a cousin that I was visiting uh, in California, I was in Idaho by then, and he had The Last Waltz. He had the album The Last Waltz. And he had no, he didn't even know why he had it. He had just, somebody, someone had given it to him and he didn't listen to it. And I just, I found it in his collection with, you know, a bunch of crappy pop records. And I, you know, opened it up and put it on and, and said, no, this is Bob Dylan. Listen to it, you know. And so, and that, I have a, a lifelong love affair with that, with that movie and that, mm. uh, that album. That is one of my, I mean, 
anytime anyone asks me, you know, what my favorite movie is, I say well, the last waltz and they say, no, that's not really a movie. It's a concert. Yeah. I say, no, it's a, it's a movie. Shut up. Martin Scorsese yeah. directed it. <laughs> yeah. And your mum was, is a Neil Diamond fan. So there must've been you know, some, <laughs> someone, something for everything in the album. Yeah. <laughs> Some, something for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. My, my mom was, you know, my mom was a rocker. She was into little Richard and the Rolling Stones and that kind of a thing. But as, you know, as the seventies happened, there were a lot of eight track tapes of uh, Neil Diamond and John Denver and Jim Croce around our house, mm. all three of whom are guilty and not so guilty pleasures for me. I still mm. occasionally will, will ask for a little, uh, uh, throw on a little Neil Diamond, you know, ask, ask my, uh, I can't say her name because she'll play some, she'll talk to us, but you know, the woman who plays the songs for me in my house, <laughs> yes. um, she's, yes. she's, she's sitting right next to me on a little disc. So I'm not going to say her name, but I haven't heard, I, I, I haven't heard the name Jim Croce for, since I was very, wow. Yeah. Young. He's, um, he's still, you know, you still hear occasionally a Jim Croce song on a sort of easy listening Time station. in a bottle. Was that, that was one yeah. of his biggest? Yeah. Which I, I think is, you know, I mean, it's a lovely song, but uh, it, doesn't really encompass everything. I mean, I think he was very cool. I think he uh, um, yeah, he wasn't you know he wasn't Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and so he kind of got got a beating for that. He wasn't quite as cool as them, but I really I still dig a lot of the stuff. I mean, I've got a name, you know, like the pine trees winding the line, a line in the well, winding and- road. I got a name, I got a name. He's a really good songwriter, and he he sadly died in a, in a plane crash when mm. he was quite young and. Really, he was just getting going. I think what was uh, bad. Bad Leroy Brown was bad, bad Leroy yeah. Brown. huge, wasn't he it? Had, How do you had, know him, Luke? I mean, you are completely the wrong age to <laughs> to well, know him. Know, I'm also the wrong age to listen to the Beatles, but I mean that is uh, so or beautiful. yeah, or Bob Dylan for that <laughs> yeah, matter. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, true. But I mean, things, he, things in happen. this country, I don't think uh, if you said Jim Croce, I, I don't think you'd get much of a response except from Luke. Well, except from is, Luke, because Luke I, I, knows. I have I have a, uh, some compilations called The Sound of the City. Which were ah. compiled by Charlie Gillett, and there's there's there are two disc sets, and the Chicago one has got Bad Badly Brown on it. But since right. then, other people have played me Jim Croce, and yeah, he's great. There there are some really smart lovely songs you know the the bad bad leroy brown and there's also one called you don't mess around with jim um yeah. which was they were both kind of the bar fight you know kind of story yeah. songs about about some guy who thought he was tough and then got, gets his ass kicked <laughs> in a bar fight you know um, well he had a mustache uh, that just asked for a bar fight didn't he i mean was that a was a big mustache and he smoked a mustache. cigar as well he had a really yes. he had a very interesting look he's uh, he's got a son who grew up not knowing him really aj croce who is actually a really wonderful songwriter, singer, songwriter, piano player, lives in uh, San Diego. And there's actually a, I think he and his mom have a, have a club in San Diego, California. So uh, yeah, check well, out gonna have to call this. We're going to have to call this episode. Is it rolling Jim? Is it rolling Jim, <laughs> Jim. Croce? Yeah. Jim Croce. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So we did go, we did go down a Jim Croce uh, a hole, hole. That was very interesting. That's fine. Yeah. Well, that's Let's good. I, mean, I haven't. And keep moving. Yeah. Well, I'd like to talk about just, I'm going to, because I really want to ask you about Things Have Changed, because that's such a Ah. brilliant cover. That's Mm, a fabulous cover. Yeah. I mean, how did that happen? Well, originally, I knew the song because I love Wonder Boys. I love that movie with you know, that he wrote it for. I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's such a great, incredibly underrated, underknown movie. I saw it a couple of times, one for each release that the movie company made. Cause you know, they released it again because it stiffed so badly and they had such really? high hopes for it. It's so written by the book is written by one of my favorite novelists, uh, uh, Michael Shaban or Shaban. I can't remember. 
you say, but I love him. I follow him on Twitter now and, and uh, I'm actually kind of giddy when he writes me back, you know, it's like, Oh my God, my favorite part. Anyway, the reason I recorded that I made an album with Larry Klein, Larry Klein, great producer was married to Joni Mitchell, yeah. played bass for her for, for a long time, but produced several of her records some of my favorite records. And uh, we set out to make that record by having little meetings. I would, I would get on a plane. I, you know, I live in Boise now, back in Boise after years in New York. And uh, I'd get on a plane and go straight from the airport to Larry's studio. And he would make us lots of espresso. And we would get all buzzed and we would play records for each other. I would just say, all right, what about this one? And I'd play him a song by whomever. And he'd play, you know, I'd play him a song by Neil Finn and he'd say, oh yeah, that's a, that's it. That's a good one. And then he'd play me a song and he played me that song. And I said, oh my God, it's got so many words. Could we really pull this off? Cause we're trying to make a, a jazz record in big air quotes, mm, you know, because mm, the, mm. the jazz records I make are all over the place. As you said, I've, I cover so many, you know, more modern songwriters and certainly the instrumentation is jazz quintet but sometimes it it's somewhere in the middle and the record that larry klein and i eventually made is definitely in that nether region between singer songwriter and jazz and acoustic pop and whatever else i mean it's mm. basically i just try to avoid selling any records at all i just want to i want to make records that absolutely <laughs> no one is going to be interested in um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I figure eventually if I just, if I get, get to not selling any records, I'll start getting really good reviews. That's, you know, that's really my, my main hope. But, uh, so that's a really Dylan-esque thing to say. I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he played that song for me and boom. Yes, of course. Let's do it. You'll notice that eventually um, we left out the final bridge, the final B section. Each verse is a, you know, a verse and then a B section. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to the chorus, which is mm -hmm. just, people are crazy. Times are strange. Uh, anyway, we, t we left out the whole thing about, I can't even remember what it was. And I was really surprised because Larry's really a stickler for songs. He really, he, he works with singer songwriters. I mean, hell, he was married to Joni Mitchell, but we both kind of looked at each other and said, what the fuck does this verse Is mean? It, it's, mis, it's Mr. Jinx and Miss Lucy. That's right? the one. And I, Mr. I, Jinx and Miss Lucy, they jumped I in the lake. I could, I could have spent some time looking into it, but it, it, I just felt like, okay, we've sung so many of his words in this, <laughs> in this song. I think we can leave those out. Nobody's going to know. And I have to tell you, I don't think I noticed. I don't think I, but because I, I, I was listening to both today. And in fact, and I, and in fact, I think I, I looked up, Mr. Jinx, you know, he, I can't really yeah. like some obscure, is he an obscure cartoon character <laughs> right, or something? Just right. thinking of the I cat think... and meet the parents, that's all I can think of now. Is the... <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it so must have left, meant something uh, to Bob. My apologies, not. my apologies to Bob, but we did, we left that out. And it actually makes the song, by the time I'm singing that fourth verse, it really launches out of the A section in a cool way. It's a surprise to go straight to the chorus there. And so, you know, I mean, maybe... Maybe he wants to, you know, incorporate that. I, I no charge, Bob. No it, charge. Yeah, no. It would, I you, think it would be an improvement because I'm, it, it's, I'm in love with a woman who don't even appeal to me, which is a, uh, yeah. you know, a shocking line when you first it, hear it. It really is, and it's and it's right there. I, I'm in love with a woman who don't even appeal to me, and then boom, straight into the chorus from there. People, yeah. I mean, I, I see people visibly gasp when I say it or laugh, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and then they're, you know, the, usually it's a man and his wife is looking at him like, you prick. I, 
<laughs> have you heard the Marty Stewart song that it kind of is very, very similar to the observations of a crow? No, no it's, it's similar to, it's to, very, uh, to yeah, this song. Is, to, it's, it came out before. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically yeah. the story is that Bob uh, and Marty were hanging out, didn't know each other that well, but uh, Marty played him the song, the observations of a crow, which oh, is musically, dear. it's basically the same. It's just <laughs> the same. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I mean, you should listen to it. But he he said, but Marty Stewart had been touring um, with Dylan uh, wow. as a mandolin player for a little little while. They were, you know, they were friends. And I think he did ask him. He said, "I think I could do something with this. Can I? Will you let me do something with this?" Which is very mm. unusual because usually he doesn't ask. Right. Um, and but right. if you listen to the observations of a crow, you'll go, "Oh, that's that's the tune. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. almost the instrumentation." I'm writing it down. Yeah. You're writing it down. No, and it's 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 actually a good song in its own right. It's quite. Uh, really. It's quite. Some of the lyrics are quite Dylan-esque. It's, there's, a, there's a bit I wrote down here. It goes, "Hey, quarter moon. Well, how was your night? Yeah, well, any minute now, God's gonna hit them brights. So if you stick right. around, don't you say that you weren't told? It's all that. It's that kind of stuff. So yeah. any minute now. Yeah, he does steal. Yeah. He steals some of the lyrical. You know. I think he well, said uh, some of the might, lyrics. I, I might borrow some of this. I think. <laughs> That's, you know. Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to be stolen from, let it be oh, yeah. Bob Dylan, right? Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, he's been interviewed about it and he goes, yeah, who cares? I don't care. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I'll take the Oscar. Uh, no, yeah. I, but I was wondering if you, I mean, I only found out about that. Uh, no, that I didn't. Recently. I didn't know about it. And I really, I fell in love with Marty Stewart recently when I saw the uh, the Ken Burns oh, country yeah. music yeah. Uh, yeah, series. I, yeah. I always, you know, I always... I didn't know about Marty Stewart. I, I knew yeah. who he was. I knew what he looked like, but mm. I didn't really know what he'd done. And I always felt like, oh, he kind of looks like, uh, you know, like a dandy, you know, like yeah. he's just a little well, more dressed scars up. And, that, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like he's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the hair and the, everything I was like, okay, well, he's probably slick kind of. And the guy from a very, very, I mean, from his teens was mm. playing with some of the greats, you know, with mm. the bluegrass greats. And I mean, he really has an amazing story. He's smart as hell. He tells great stories. And he's he's had a song stolen uh, by <laughs> yeah. Bob Dylan. I mean, the guy, I know. the guy just went up another notch in my estimation. I know. No, and he is fabulous. And I, I found out more about him after I saw the uh, the series, the Ken Burns series as well, because I thought yeah. if he's on the Ken Burns series, he's, yeah. you know. Yeah. The great a, thing about that player. Ken Burns series, it's kind of the story of a few, there are sort of threads that go through it. Marty Stewart is one of them. The other one is like the, the, the Carter family and Johnny Cash. And But you, yeah. you get to the end and you've, you've sort of had a little potted history of Marty Stewart as well, haven't you? You have, yes, yes. I mean, really that it's a, with so much of what Ken Burns does, like so much of what Ken Burns does, it's about that thing. It's about country music, but it's about, it's a history of America. It's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a history of a certain part of America. I mean, yeah. that whole, the rub, you know, that, that first episode is called the rub and it's yeah. the rub between white music and black music mm -hmm. and how, how much black music is in country music and surprisingly how much country music is in black music. That mm -hmm. was the thing that was very interesting mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, perhaps controversial, but mm -hmm. God, I loved that. I mean, I just, I, I wasn't, you know, I was, by the last episode, I was a little, I, I watched it and yeah, it was yeah. fine. I just, I wasn't as interested in most of the modern artists. stuff. Yeah. yeah the yeah, modern no, stuff. I, I felt, the you know, same I mean, thing. I think Garth Brooks is great, but I, I wanted to hear more about Maybelle. You know, I wanted yeah. to hear about, it was Maybelle that played guitar, right? She was the Carter that played, she was a guitarist, right? And she invented country guitar playing. Mm -hmm. I mean, a woman fabulously invented country guitar playing. It just makes mm -hmm. me so happy. Yeah. Uh, I just, mm -hmm. I loved learning of that. And then of course, you know, I mean, oh, 
God, there was so much stuff in there. Jimmy Rogers, who Bob Dylan loves, you know, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. um, my blue eyed Jane, he covered on that yeah, Jimmy yeah. Rogers cover album. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I, that's a great, that was recently, right? I mean, probably 20 years ago, the Jimmy about, Rogers record. Yeah. 94. Yeah, not that long ago. Yeah, exactly. Twenty years ago. That's I'm, I'm in my thirties, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm right. still in my thirties, aren't I? Yeah, I, I love that. And you're in the, there. Somebody did. You're you're in the jailhouse now. I really love Jimmy Rogers. And mm. that he's somebody that I didn't know about growing up. I only learned about him in the last. Well, I guess now you've proven it's 25 years, not 20 years. Yes. <laughs> I was really intrigued when you talked about singing uh, Things Have Changed, just to go back to it, you know, that uh-huh. the audience held the, you know, uh, went, <gasps> I mean, with it, what's it like singing it? Because you must know that song inside out. Yeah, it's um, it's got a lot of words. It took me a long time to have the guts not to have lyrics in front of me on that one. I, mm. I don't like forgetting songs. Mm. And so I always have a stand on stage. I just do it no matter what, because mm. I have forgotten songs in really embarrassing moments that we won't discuss. And I just, I figure, you know, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather disappoint people by having a stand than disappoint people by forgetting the, the most important line in the song, because mm. I just, I, I don't know, it's, it must be some sort of mental, I, I must have something wrong with me. I mean, I have a lot of things wrong with me, but there must be something in that, that I, I just, I freeze up, but, but I finally can sing that song all the way through. People love that song. People go nuts for that song when they play it. It is always, it raises the roof and no matter where we are, whether we're in a club, we're in a theater, it just, people dig it. There's something about that song that kills them. And, uh, and we have a ball playing it. It's especially great when I can have my, my trumpet player out with me. Um, John Scrapper Snyder plays trumpet with me and he's out for maybe half of my touring. Sometimes a lot of times we're just out as a quartet, but when he's out and he can play those breaks with a trumpet, it mm. just, it just makes it fabulous. And, uh, Do you think people are slightly apprehensive uh, before you start? I'm just wondering, because there's there's one uh, YouTube, uh, you know, you do the whole, whole song, and I think in Stuttgart or someplace, a jazz festival uh, in yeah. Europe, and you you give a delightful introduction where, where you say, you know, this, uh, this song is... I you probably I don't know if you give the same introduction. Oh, I think time, I say it's, that's in uh, France actually in um, Mar- oh, okay. Marciac, France, and I I say something about how it's a perfect Bob Dylan song. It's dark and sexy and blah blah blah. And I think it's a little bit about me. Which I, I every time I see that video, I get I was like, why did you have to say that thing? Shut up! <laughs> Just sing the goddamn song, Curtis. Um, so I regret that part because it's not about me. It's this is stupid. But I was just trying to. I'm, I was in France. I was trying to be. I was trying to be glib, and it just anyway. Um, but do you think people, people are apprehensive about hearing a Bob Dylan song at a jazz concert? I'm just wondering if. Well, often um, before you start, I, I have a better intro for that that now than mm-hmm. I did then. Mm-hmm. And what I say is, as you know, I'm a jazz singer, but I'm also, you know, I, I love songs. I love playing music, uh, um, you know, by a lot of different kinds of musicians. I love singer-songwriters in particular. This song is by a, a little-known American singer-songwriter. Uh, you probably <laughs> never heard of him. He's, he's called Bob Dylan, and then the band kicks in, and that's it. Really? So it's, that's, we get the laugh from that. Actually, Dylan uh, licensed uh, the song to uh, do this uh, commercial for the Super Bowl. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Because there, uh, it was. Oh, things uh, have changed. I think yeah, things I have do changed. Remember. Yeah, I it do was, remember. It was that. very terrible. I thought. It, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's available on on YouTube. You can watch it, and it's kind of an instrumental version of it with a really cheesy ad voiceover, which basically yeah. says it's all stuff about America being better at making cars than any right. other country. And then at the end, he sort of says, um, 
things would change. Mm-hmm. Or so it's, it's, it's really, it's one of his, you know, sellout things. And right. yeah, I wondered right. if you'd seen it. I did. And I'm sure, I seem to remember that I was less annoyed than I was kind of happy that the song, I mean, I thought, well, maybe people will notice that song and then notice my version. So, I mean, and as far as selling <laughs> out, you know, I mean, I'm putting a daughter through college, so I would do anything to sell out sure. at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when people sell their music, when Bob sold his catalog, I just thought, oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's worked his ass off. And I get that it's disappointing to see, you know, Bob Dylan or hear Bob Dylan's music in, in Cheetos ads and things or Cadillac ads as that was, was, yeah. was the case. But, you know, we can always just turn it off and and know that uh, his family or, or whomever yeah. are taken care of and don't have to worry about selling his music to I make the bills. Uh, you know, I love it when musicians get a payday finally, because so many musicians don't that it's just nice to nice to see it, even when it seems a little bit uh, like, yep. you know, like they're selling out. But uh, Bob can sell out as much as he wants, as far as I'm concerned. What did you make of the uh, Things Have Changed uh, video, the music video, which I'm sure you know, the one that was directed by Curtis Hansen? No, uh, I don't know it. I don't oh, know do it at all. It? Isn't that weird? Oh, you I must should... see it. You'll, you okay. will love it. And Curtis uh, has the great, the late, great Curtis Hansen. Amazing. What a, what a great director. I love he, this. He, yeah, I know he was. And he incorporated Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Douglas into the video. He had Bob driving the car. Wow. And looking at them in the, they would be, if they were in the back seat in the film. He'd so be so looking, he used footage, he used, he used footage, footage from the film and then yeah. put in it. Okay. I got to check yeah. it out. I have not And that, it. It's, it's really good. It's oh, really cool. good. Uh, Bob is doing his weird lip syncing thing that he does, whereas he's not quite lip syncing. <laughs> right. And he's doing his weird acting that he does, which is not quite acting. <laughs> he's but make, it's, it's, it's riveting he's because up, of that. He's continuing to to create the myth that is Bob Dylan. That's one of the things that I just adore oh, about yeah, Bob yeah, Dylan. Yeah. Besides his uh, his wonderful songs and music, I love, I mean, that movie, the, the most recent movie, the documentary, the Scorsese <laughs> thing. I mean, <laughs> the fact that there were three or four, um, I guess there were three fictional characters and then mm-hmm. just that that fictional thread with, with Sharon Stone, right? Yeah, Where, yeah, yeah. Sharon Stone just saying that, yeah. you know, I mean, I think that's just brilliant. He, no one knows. No one really knows. I mean, you guys probably know, but who is this guy? Where was he really a cowboy in Arizona in the in the late fifties? Uh, we all went to see it together. Uh, Robin, our producer, and Luke and I went, yeah. were invited to a you know a showing of the oh, of the film. So it hadn't come out yet. So we 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 saw it. We loved it, and we we're going through the foyer on the way out. And I said, "Well, wait a second. You know, we were completely taken by it. And I right. said, it said casting director. Right. What the hell oh, so you didn't, you didn't we were, know. We were suckered in, just like right. it. was the Michael Murphy character. That yeah, got, Michael Murphy, we recognized Tara, him. We, we know this from Robert Altman. The actor, the know, actor, yeah. The um, actor, um, yeah. Who played the, was, was he the senator or something? Yeah, the, the, yeah he played yeah. Tanner, he and played he was Tanner playing Tanner in... Yeah, which, and, and that was a fictional character for a Robert Altman film that they'd stuck into the Martin Scorsese film. Mm. And we, yeah. we recognized it. We knew something was up. But it was yeah. only when we were just walking and I said, what do they need a casting director for? And then, then we thought, well, what if that guy, do you think he was? And 
kind of it, figured it out from yeah, there. But, but the minute I watched it at home, I watched it. I watched it at home. Uh, you know, streamed it when it came out streaming, and uh, as soon it was as it was over, I think I maybe I did the same thing. Maybe I saw a casting director, but as soon as it was over, I went online as I often do with movies. I you right. know that I especially ones yeah. that I'm I need to know more about or I'm confused by. I go right online, and the first thing that I went to is what's real and what's not the new yeah. Dylan movie. You know, that was the first Google thing that came up and I thought, aha, yes, yes. That, and so I, then I started guessing who was fake and who wasn't. And I, I got them all. And I, and I knew that Sharon, I mean, Sharon, she did a great job. I thought she oh, was yeah. just really delightful. Good. She was so yeah. great. But what's better than that? I mean, Dylan was telling stories about himself that may or may not have been true back in the sixties. You know, exactly. when he first came out, he was just making a myth. What it's just, it's so brilliant. I mean, it's such a, such a cool i could never do it i just i'm too much of a dork i'm just too i just want everybody to know me really i don't i don't want to but i love there's a writer called um, there's a writer called lauren daly who we we must get on the podcast one day who wrote a great piece around that time saying you know what bob dylan doesn't exist the person of bob (laughs) dylan does not exist he was created by this this guy robert zimmerman and Uh, i thought it's a really good point yeah. It really is, and and it's it's fabulous. I mean, and then to have created such brilliant art and to have written such brilliant songs mm. or borrowed brilliant songs, you know, depending mm. on the the song, you know, he's just this perfect. I don't know creation. He's this perfect. He's an art form in himself, in his in his own right. I guess you know, he's mm. like a piece of. He's a big work. I've never thought, you know, the, the song uh, with, uh, on the, the last album, My Own Version of You. My Own Version of You. It only just occurred to me that that could be about making Bob Dylan, not just mm-hmm. making a song, which mm-hmm. some people think it's about. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you um, wonder, I mean, yeah. I, I often wonder, does he think about the myth all the time? Is he thinking about every time he writes a song, all right, so where does this fit into the Bob Dylan myth? You know, where does making a Christmas album fit into the Bob Dylan myth? Where, do, you know, where does, where does making two Christian albums, you know, I mean, what is he thinking about it or is he, does he do it and then look back and say, okay, this is how I will, this is how I'll play this. This is how I'll, is he, is he doing it off the cuff or is he, does he have a notebook that he's I like know. planning? I, I kind of think he's like Neil Young. He's just churning out whatever makes sense at any one particular time. And it, and it's for right. somebody else to, I mean, Paul Morley, who, who we had on our podcast very, very early on when we started doing this, said, this is all only ever going to make sense, like Bowie's life made sense once the life is over. And then you can see the arc. Yeah. But at the right. time, it's just stuff happening. And, and you know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem to me like it's a an orchestrated or directed set of career moves. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I, I see that. He's not he's not making career moves, but, but he's certainly, I mean, just his ability to lie really creatively yeah. and really appealingly just kills me oh, and yeah. also be you know i was thinking i should have watched all the book dylan movies before we talked so i could be refreshed and have more uh, to talk about but as you can tell i, n- I never don't have something to talk about <laughs> <laughs> i never shut the hell up but uh, but, but i I, sh- I wanted to watch um no direction home is that yeah, the one um, yeah, yeah. Uh, by D.A. pennebaker is that the one or that's is the other no, scorsese that's, one. that's a scorsese one yeah it's uh, don't look back don't look back, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, look back. Yeah, um, yeah. When he takes uh, poor uh, Donovan apart piece by yeah. piece, it's just. I mean, he takes everyone like, apart in that, doesn't he? Well, Ever. he does, yeah, yeah. And, and breaks Joan Baez is, breaks Joan that. Baez's heart. Then there's that scene, and I actually tweeted that, that video. Uh, I took a, a a quick film of that of that scene where he's talking to Joan Baez in the bar when they get back together for the Rolling Thunder tour, mm. and she's basically calling him on on yeah. the fact that he basically 
left her and, yeah. and went off. He said, yeah, but I, you know, I fell in love. She said, well, you're right. And then he says, uh, was it love? It's a motherfucker or something yeah. like that. He says, <laughs> he says I think that's yeah. what he said. I think it's love yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right, Bob. I mean, that, that might be the best lyric Bob Dylan ever wrote. It's like, love, it's a, it's a, it's a motherfucker. Um, and it's just, it's just so great. It's like, I, I loved that there was also modern footage of him being interviewed. I haven't really seen a lot of footage of Bob Dylan being interviewed since he was much younger. And so to see him just sitting there speaking, quite frankly, to, I think it was, it wasn't to Scorsese though, it was to his- uh, It was his manager. It was his manager guy. uh, Yeah, um, yeah, Jeff Rosen. uh, Rosen, right, yeah, Yeah. Jeff Rosen, who I, I know just a little bit through my former manager. So he's being very, it's just, it was fun to see him being honest. And then you realize at the end that he, he wasn't really being honest in about a third of what he said anyway. He was, it yeah. was, he was making it up. It but was there was, there was that moment, you know, where, where they, they keep questioning him at the beginning. And then he, he finally says, you know, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of that stuff. And, and he laughs. And I thought uh, that he's not a good enough actor. Right. To, for that not to have been real. Mm. That, that I, was I real, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, bit, there's parts of it that are just so real and so uh, revealing. And then there are parts where you can tell it's just like, I mean, the thing about him saying that, that was it that David Mansfield wanted to sing a song, you yeah. know, or something. It was, yeah. Or maybe it was Howie Wyeth. It was one of them, or Howie wanted to play piano. And he was like, I don't want to get playing singing a song. It was just, it was just so great. It was like, it was just, he just he totally shot. I think it was Mansfield, a uh, Mansfield who played, you know, the, the pedal steel on uh, the Ro- a rolling thunder tour. And, you know, I think he rides a bicycle naked down the street in the, in the movie. <laughs> what is the name of that movie, by the way? That, so well, Ronaldo so and, so and Clara. Yeah. No, no, the, no, that's the one, one that, I'm thinking of. That's, oh, one okay. I'm thinking, that's one I just couldn't remember what, what they called that. I could ask you guys, I could interview you guys, interview <laughs> yeah. you guys for like four hours just to, just to. <laughs> no, Luke is the one I rely on. I can't remember dates. I can't remember, barely remember names of albums, but Luke, I rely well, on. That, so that, you, you I can interview him. I'll run out of, of these things one day. Have you ever met like people who know people who've been on these tours, Kurt? Have you ever heard any good, good stories about some of these, these guys? Not Bob. I've known people. I've known people who played with him. I knew Howie Wyeth, the, who played drums wow. um, on the Rolling Thunder tour. But I knew Howie. Well, I knew him as a drummer, but also as a stride pianist. He he lived in New York when I first moved to New York. What a character! Beautiful guy, wonderful musician. And I'd ask him questions, but there was not. You know, there I really didn't get much out of him. You know, um, I th- I always felt like anybody that I talked to that knew Dylan didn't really know Dylan. You know, mm. didn't really have a sense of, you know, that they'd say things about him, but uh, I never really got a sense of who he was as a guy. Um, I mean, I, I saw you in, in the 90s. I saw you um, on the same day as I saw Eric Clapton and Bonnie Raitt and Elton John. I was, I was you there. You were there. Wembley, yeah. oh. And so, I mean, has Eric Clapton got any stories? I mean, he was at the Desire Sessions. He was at the Last Waltz. He was, did he say anything? I spent, I spent some time with Eric, but I didn't, you know, he's, he wasn't all that talkative. Yeah. Most of the time I spent with Eric Clapton, he was playing foosball. <laughs> you know that that table yeah. table yeah. football. Mm. He was he was the best foosball player I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to think. That's of why they call him slow hand, know. right? Yeah, I, I get. Yeah, it was like slow hand has really fast hands. Yeah, uh, but no, I you're a big I, um, you're a big Van Morrison fan. I know from yeah, from, uh, I, I love. I mean, I love I love Van Morrison and I love Eric Clapton, and they've been a little rough on me this last year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Politically yes. speaking, they've, we they've both disappointed yeah. me considerably. Did you ever work with Van or tour with Van? I know you've... 
I met Van. I bumped into Van several times. The first time was uh, back in 1992, or was it 93? No, it was 93. Actually, maybe even later. It was the night that Bill Clinton turned on the Christmas lights in Belfast. And <laughs> and this this was oh, a big night. deal. Well, it was a big deal because I, I mean the record company person that I dealt with there in Belfast, his kids had never been to the center of Belfast until that mm. night, mm. because it was so because of the troubles, because it, right. it was just right. it wasn't safe. Oh, and that night, everybody came to the center of Belfast and celebrated yeah. together. And so mm. it was sort of like it felt like the beginning of the end of the troubles, you know, and certainly the troubles, uh, you know, there are echoes still, but uh, it was a big night and Van played and I sang a song that night. And I just had a glimpse of Van that oh. night. I didn't, I didn't meet him that night, but I had a glimpse of him and hung out with his band and then sang my song. And people still come up to me in, in pubs in Belfast and say, I remember ye, <laughs> you were on with that, your man Clinton. And, uh, Not bad. Um, but then, you know, I'd bump into Van or I'd just be in the same room with him over the years. Uh, Dylan and Van played a big concert or were meant to play a big concert to commemorate the famine, the potato famine. This was back in the, I think it was in the late nineties. And my friend, Paul Brady, who's a singer songwriter from oh, Ireland, yeah. mm-hmm. he, um, he was on that gig. Now, Dylan, this is when Dylan had his heart, scare right uh, and he had to cancel so he was not there but i was there and so i saw i walked into the room in into this big sort of common area of these dressing rooms and paul's in one and anyway i walk in and there's no one in the room except for van morrison he's standing in the in the middle of the room and he turns to me and then he turns and he <laughs> almost runs into his dressing room <laughs> he scurries and and the door slams and that's it and that's the only time oh. years but years later I met Van at Royal Albert Hall backstage uh, during a, bl- a blues festival. This is maybe six or seven years ago. And I sat down with him and, and a, a promoter from New York called Ron Delsner, who is a mutual friend of Van's of mine. And Van and I talked about music and it was great. Mm. He mm. was lovely and we talked about the blues and he was very interesting. And then he's come to see my shows three times in London. He's come to see me at Ronnie Scott's wow. and, uh, the last couple of times he came down to the dressing room and hung out and he was quite nice. And that's why this whole unfortunate stuff with the, with the pandemic has been uh, difficult for me is, is because not only do I just love his music, but I, you know, I become friendly with him and I yeah. um, even, I, I cut a track with him recently singing with him. So it's. Well, you use the word disappointed. I mean, a lot of musicians have, have voiced their disappointment. I think it's a good word with, with both Clapton and Morrison recently and just said, what, what are you doing? You know, what is going on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably for saying this, I'm probably getting kicked off the, uh, the duets record that I recorded the track <laughs> for, but, but you know what, if, if that has to be, that has to be, this is the first time I've talked about it publicly. I, mm. I wondered as it was coming out, if I should, what I should do. And all my friends and my wife said, shut up. <laughs> so, so I did. My wife says that a lot, by the way, um, but, <laughs> but I, but I do have, it's been disappointing to see it because it doesn't make the stuff that they've, they've been going on about just doesn't make sense. And it isn't, no. doesn't, it's not good for other people. It's, it's bad. We, 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 you know, it's about taking care of each other. And, you know, I didn't make a living for a year and a half and I didn't, I didn't yeah. bitch about it. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't bitch about it. I stayed home and I made videos with my dogs. In your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, speaking of speaking of the greats, um, and I, I've just got to ask you this because it seems sort of so obvious. You've done uh, that uh, wonderful uh, Sinatra covers album, mm. uh, One More for the Road, where you recreate the Sands album, really. And it's just fabulous. I love listening to it. And um, Thank you. What do you make of Dylan's Sinatra period? I mean, the guy likes good songs. The guy likes storytellers. He always has. Um, you know, and one thing you and the three of us know is that Bob Dylan is a fan. He loves other people's records. He loves it's of course it's surprising, you know, and it's also, you know, you can just do a just do jokes about it for all day, you know, fly me to the moon. You know, I mean you could just do that. I've got you under my skin. But but the truth is the guy likes to tell stories. And who's better at that than Sinatra? And mm. also Bob's of an age that he grew up with standards, you know. I mean, those songs were mm. the pop songs of his day. And mm. whether he loved them then or not, they're part of his makeup. It's the music that his parents listened to and his grandparents listened to. So I mean, the guy's made so many records, he might as well. I prefer it to the Christmas music, I have to admit. Me too. Me too. Yeah, we're not, uh, we're not <laughs> boosters of the Christmas album on this. We just we disagree about a lot of stuff, but we're we're of one with the... Uh, <laughs> and you know, when, 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 you know in, t in 20 years, when we look back, we may say, you know, that was a brilliant move. That yeah, guy. I know. That's the... Yeah. Absolutely. That's the thing about uh, Dylan. I mean, speaking of, I've been going through your back catalog like crazy and uh, the uh, the song uh, that you wrote about kind of about van morrison van said i am yeah. uh you know from your uh, a second or a third uh, my third album, album brighter days yeah yeah brighter days but i was listening to it this morning and this jumped out at me the line that you wrote and sang uh that sweet old song may sound the same but the meanings change somehow uh -huh, and right. i thought yeah and i thought that happens with dylan all the time i don't know about you but with me uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think all songs evolve as as we evolve. I mean, that's that's kind of the the story of my album. This new album of mine is that you know I wonder why, which my was my first single, and it was a certain mm. thing sung by a certain guy. It was by that twenty four year old mm. kid with the mm. long hair trying mm. to prove he was the best soul singer. You know, <laughs> come down the pike. You know, working his ass off to prove that, working way too hard. Um, but when I sing that song now, it's a whole different mm. song, and it's about mm. a whole it's about a whole different set of circumstances. It still hits me. It still it, it means a lot to me. So songs evolve. Songs grow older. They change meaning. And when Sean Colvin sings "You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go," it's totally different. Uh, it means a, a whole different thing than when uh, when Bob sings it. When Levon Helm sings, you know, when I paint my masterpiece. It's a whole different ball game than when Bob sings it. You know, I mean, the band is just such a huge part of my life. So when I realized, when I was way too old to be realizing it, that you know, not only did Bob Dylan paint the the album cover of Music from Big Pink, but he co-wrote the first song that anyone ever heard from the band. You know, yeah. it was like. Oh yeah, he really. That's when I went down a, a great Bob hole. Anyway, I, I over answered that question, but uh, songs keep on changing. Um, people are crazy and times are strange. Yeah, I mean, do you change the arrangement? Say of of things have changed. Have you, in the way that you know, 
probably nobody doesn't like Bob, but Bob, you know, changes his arrangements every time. Well, he we do. Wakes up. We basically do the arrangement that Larry Klein created for that album. I tend to take songs and totally destroy them and and put them back together. I mean, I, I tend to. I, I recorded "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight" for one of my mm-hmm. albums, and mm-hmm. we did it like a Sinatra thing. Do 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 do. Show you know close or um um. I can't remember the lyrics anymore. How embarrassing. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I'll be your baby tonight. Really like a Sinatra version. And I've even done, I even have a, a big band arrangement of it. That's, it's cool as hell. I really love doing it. I like to do that. I like to, I don't, I don't really like doing karaoke. Larry Klein stayed closer to Dylan's arrangement than maybe I would have but I, it was perfect. You know, I mean, I loved stepping away from the production chair because I produce my own records now. I have for 20 years and that's the only record, you know, in the last 20 years that I haven't basically had my fingerprints all over as far as the production. I let him do it and I love that record. But that's one that just, it just called for it to be similar to Bob's version. There isn't a whole lot you want to change on that. It's just so cool. Although, you know, when I sit at home and play it on my guitar, it sounds kind of different. There's a certain Bertolt Brecht quality to our version that isn't in Bob's version, you know, because it's that minor chord, you know, I can hear that kind of a, you know, at a cabaret or something. Anyway. Yeah, I, and I, I think just, it sounds quite different. I yeah. It's basically because you, your vocal range let's face it, is wider than Bob's. So Yeah, we sing, we sing differently. Although I, you know, I really, Larry really forced me to not sing too loud on that record. I've been talking about this a lot lately. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a producer or anybody about singing, Larry Klein, as I was going in to sing this song, he said, all right, sing this song as though you're singing it to one person. Don't sing it to everybody. Sing it to one person. And I was 40 years old when he told me that, or you know, more than that. For I was 45 years old, and I'd, it never occurred to me, what a great piece of advice. I would give that advice to any singer. Mm-hmm. Sing it to one person. Mm-hmm. It will just, it'll work better. And no matter what the song is, just tell that mm-hmm. story to one person. But especially when it's a love song. But but anything, anything, it just, it works. So, uh, but well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I love our version of that. And people... Again, when we play that live, people go insane. Their heads explode. It's so cool. And they're excited that it's Bob Dylan. I mean, people people love Bob Dylan. At jazz shows, people love Bob Dylan. And I've made jokes about that too. You know, it's like, um, well, now's the time in the evening that happens in every jazz festival anywhere around the world, the Bob Dylan song. And then, we, you know, we kick into the, the Frank Sinatra E version of, uh, of I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. And they laugh, but... Everybody plays Bob Dylan songs now. I mean, he's got so many and there are so many great ones and you can take them apart and put them back together however you want. So he does. I mean, yeah. Yes, he I does. Mean, actually, <laughs> speaking of um, talking to one person, singing to one person, uh, there's a version of uh, Don't Think Twice It's All Right, which is a bonus track on your new album. Yes. This Life. And uh, I was, is that the one that you recorded a few years before or did you record it? It's, it's like a nine minute version with a fabulous. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a live. It's nine minutes because that's our live. I recorded it in 2003 with uh, Larry Golding's great uh, jazz organist and a bunch of 
jazz musicians my age, really great, great sort of jazz stars all in their own right. But Larry played organ. We play it, when I tour, I play with my piano player, Matthew Fries, And so he just always played a really nice version of it on piano. And it always lit up the room. We played that song, like if you were covering Purple Rain, that's how we would play Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. By the end of it, it was just like, ah! But at the beginning, it was very, very quiet and kind of somewhere between New Orleans and reggae feel, but jazz. Anyway, so I just decided it had been such an important part of my live shows over the years. And again, this album is, this new album is about my evolved versions that have happened while we were on stage, you know, so I wanted, I just wanted to include it. It seemed like a good bonus track, particularly because it's so goddamn long, you know, (laughs) it is eight or nine minutes long and it's just because they're nice long solos and we play it really slowly. We play, we play the song slower than he does, you know, on the acoustic guitar, but I still, I just, I love hearing him play that original version. Was it from Freewheeling? Yeah. Yeah. It's not Freewheeling. I just love him. I think Bob Dylan plays guitar so well. I love to hear him pick and, you know, listening to those old, what are those old bootleg the Widmark? Widmark yeah, the Widmark tape. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, Widmark yeah. sessions, Widmark tape. I just love, you know, he, and he says, well, uh, this, is a, this is a song, blah, blah, blah. and then he just play, and he played, I just, <laughs> I love the way he played play guitar. I just, I yeah. think he was so wonderful. You know, I also, you know, love the way he sounded when he pulled out the electric guitar and pissed everybody off, but uh, mm. I definitely revisit those, you know, freewheeling and that era. He kills me. He kills me. Just him, you know, the way he plays guitar on, uh, it's all right, Ma. I mean, do 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 do. Oh, it's just yeah, murders me. I love it. Have you? What about um, Bob's few? I, I I think Bob's maybe done two jazz tracks. Oh, well, there's if dogs run free from New Morning. I don't know if you know that one. He sort of uh, no a scat singer in the background. Oh wow, no. See, I, they, oh. again, there's so I, I was a little bit nervous about doing this interview with you guys because. I am not encyclopedic on Bob. There are certain things that I adore and I, but I need to, so, but New Morning is an album that I just don't know. And everyone's oh, saying, really they keep bringing it's, it up. Yeah. I know there's, yeah, there's a song or two that were, I mean, what songs from New Morning do I know? New Morning? Maybe. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> you might know. Apparently not. I thought there was, wasn't there a single for, I mean, uh, like a, let's see. Yeah, um, if not for you is the single. Uh, if not, yeah, for, if you, not yeah. for you, yeah, that's. Yeah, like, there's also. That one, but have no. you seen the Big Lebowski? Because the man in me is that is the song that opens the Big Lebowski. That's on New Morning. Okay, that's from New Morning. All right. Um, yeah, right. it really is a good album. Mm, it's really good. But I was also going to mention this. Is, this is really obscure. I just found this. I don't know how he does a version of "It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry." Oh, with Wynton Marsalis wow. at the Lincoln Center. That's cool. With the big, big band. And it's it's a it's a really interesting version because he starts out, you can barely hear him. He just goes, <laughs> and he, he sort of keeps going and going. And and, he, and finally he's getting, you know, he's really getting and he's he's getting his uh uh, his lungs into it, and the band is picking up. And then at one point, it looks like there's going to be a harmonica break because he he just blows a couple of lines on the harmonica, yeah. and somebody goes whale, and you think it's all going to happen now. <laughs> and the minute this guy says whale, 
He stops. He's like, oh, no, no. He's not going to wail. He's not going to wail if you say wail. Don't, don't say wail. No. Don't say wail. <laughs> that's no, well, that's it. I mean, I, I, that's something I got to check out. Is it on video or is it just an audio It's on the, it's on the, the dreaded, the dreaded S word. Yeah, yeah. But it's probably, we try not to mention Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we've actually yeah. vowed not to mention the S word. Yeah, uh, they're on this, um, on this show. So yeah, it's time. Uh, it's time to leave the S word behind for sure. Yeah, but it is worth finding it. It's probably on Apple Music. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's one you can say. I mean, nobody nobody pays enough uh, to artists and and writers for streaming. But at least you know, at least you can buy artists music from apple uh, and uh, yeah. that's the thing i think that's what i'm going to start to recommending to people because I, I again i'm on i talk about it a lot i'm on twitter a lot and mm -hmm. people are always asking me well what should i do and i say well you know if you're going to stream do it from apple but but also just buy it you know i mean but yeah. there it's only 99 cents a song for god's sake it's so much cheaper than than buying a you know a vinyl it's it's cost my album will cost you 30 bucks uh, if you buy it on vinyl but you can get it for 10 bucks or 11 bucks on apple so anyway yeah. there you go that's my i, I like to buy cents. cds still occasionally yeah. uh, it, and but i do it to support the artist i think yeah. Yeah. but i'm am i right in thinking that if i buy oh, yeah. your much cd it's going to be good for you that's it's a good much thing better to, to buy it's much better to buy the you know the the hard copy of something whether it's a cd or or, or, or vinyl but if you do buy it digitally if you actually pay for it as opposed to stream it you know the artist is going to get some money for it as opposed to on streaming you know you get like 0.000023 cents mm. for a stream and that no one's ever going to make any money from that you got to live to be 10,000 years old to make money from that so that the laws need to change that's the mm. much like ASCAP forced back in the in the early 1900s forced through lobbying forced the, the government to to make laws that protected songwriters from piano roles i mean you know that's that's where ascap came from ascap yeah. was created by irving berlin and a bunch of other songwriters and the idea was that they weren't getting paid a cent for piano rolls that were being sold to people. And so in order to get paid for those, like they got paid for sheet music, which, you know, you did have to pay, they didn't have mimeograph, they didn't have Xerox back then, mm. they didn't have copiers. So they got the laws changed. And that's what needs to happen. There needs to be an international move to just force streaming giants who are making billions of dollars to, to just pay us what we deserve because otherwise it's just going to get worse and worse. I mean, I know records vinyl has, has been selling and CDs even are making a comeback, but for most part people stream because it's in big air quotes convenient. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what, that's the, the excuse I keep getting from people online. It's, it's, it's so convenient. I said, yeah, I know it's convenient. It's nice, but buy the records. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've taken up enough of your time, I think, Chris, and it's been fabulous. Do you think you can, um, I'm ju I just feel we should sort of end with something to do with you and Bob, but I can't, uh, I I'm out of ideas as far as. Uh, well, Bob and I were on a gig together once. Um, well, this was, okay. I've, I've been thinking about this recently because it was, well, it was, it was 29 years ago. When Bill Clinton was inaugurated, that would have been 93. Yeah, January 93. Uh, Quincy Jones threw a big concert, a TV concert, uh, HBO special 
on, yeah, I think it was HBO. And uh, he got everybody. It was insane. I mean, Michael Jackson was there. Every big star of the time and before. I was asked to play saxophone because I had a new, I was kind of a newly anointed hit artist. And uh, I was asked to play saxophone in a saxophone choir with Jerry Mulligan and David Sanborn (laughs) and Michael Brecker, all these people who can actually play saxophone. You know, I'm a singer who (laughs) plays saxophone, but I got asked to do this. And it was just all my heroes, you know, many of my heroes, Grover Washington Jr. And Bob Dylan was on that gig. And he sang, I I think he probably sang Blowing in the Wind, but you know, you couldn't tell what it was, that sort of a thing. But we, I did in fact sort of pass him in the hall once. That's the closest I ever got to Bob was at the Lincoln Memorial in some giant tent complex and walked by Bob Dylan, like right after I walked by Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin and uh, um, Diana Ross and, and Michael Stipe. And I mean, it was just the craziest thing. So that was as close as I ever got to Bob. And I just, just as I'm sitting here, I remember that Bob was on that as well. It was pretty cool. That was, and the, the idea was, you know, kind of a, that artist had not been welcome in the white house or, you know, in Washington for 12 years because it had been the Reagan administration and then the uh, first Bush administration. And uh, there were only a handful of artists that were beloved by the GOP and it wasn't us. (laughs) It It wasn't Bob. Is it rolling? Bob talking Dylan is recorded on Zencaster. Engineered by Nev Brothers and produced by Robin Guys. Digital imaging by Finn Guys. Music is by Sam Hare. We're part of Pantheon Podcasts, the music podcast network. Find us on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. A saxophone someplace far off played as she was walking on by the arcade. As the light bust through a beat-up shade where he was waking up, she dropped a coin into the cup of a blind man at the gate and forgot about a simple twist of fate.